This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Good morning to you, DMV, and good morning, USA. Hope everybody is doing well today. 1067 The Fan on your AM FM dial. It's on the Odyssey app, and it's on our stream at thefandc.com. However you're tuned in this morning, we appreciate you hanging out with us for just a bit. I'm Danny Noakes, Caitlin in studio producing the show. We're with you for another couple of hours, and just recently underway, the matchup between the United States men's national team and the Netherlands the 2022 FIFA World Cup round of 16 it's the USA versus the Netherlands no score as we get this game kicked off we'll look at the score throughout that game probably be happening for the next two hours as we will be here with you over that time so it lines up perfectly with that we want to send a big thank you to matt wyrick of nbc sports washington's capitals coverage for his time in the last segment had somebody tweet us a few minutes ago back in hour number one that said you'll really discuss caps hockey and that's baseball i don't believe it well believe it my friend because we just got done talking a little caps with our buddy matt wyrick if you did not get the chance to listen to it live you can use the rewind function on either the odyssey app or on the stream at thefandc.com so it's good stuff right there and thanks so much to dmv sports dude who says good cap segment if you didn't catch it again you can still catch it with the rewind app and later Later on with the podcast, we will do some baseball later on as well, because you do have some major signings in Major League Baseball. One definitely breathing a sigh of relief for Nationals fans, because it's a very good pitcher that will be exiting the National League East. But we will get to that later on, because I want to talk some college football. I want to talk about the Pac-12 championship game from last night, because it looked like we were in for a tremendous finish, but it did not go how I figured that it would, but it is championship Saturday today. It's championship weekend, if you will, and one of the better matchups was last night. Number 11, Utah. Number 4, USC. The Trojans needed to win this game to keep their college football playoff chances alive, and USC was 11-1 coming into this game. Their only loss earlier this season to the same Utah team by just one point. 43-42 was the final score there from Salt Lake City. Rice Eccles Stadium, home of the Utah Utes. But the Pac-12 does the smart thing with their conference championships, and other conferences are finally starting to take note of this. But the Pac-12 takes the best two teams in the conference as opposed to taking the top team in each division. This year, it's a particularly hotly debated topic because particularly the Big Ten. Ohio State lost to Michigan last week, actually pretty handily, and that happened in Columbus. Michigan really gave them the business, but 
the Buckeyes will not play in the Big Ten Championship today. An unranked Purdue team will. Now, while Purdue has had a great season and they've played a lot of those high-ranked Big Ten teams very close, Penn State one of them, they're not, at least on paper, better than Ohio State. And their resume is not better than Ohio State. As Purdue is 8-4, and four, Ohio State is 11-1, and one, right? Now, when you look at the Big Ten specifically, Wisconsin oftentimes comes out of the Big Ten West. But the Badgers had a rough year, fired their head coach, Paul Christ, former Badger. Jim Leonard, the defensive coordinator, another former Badger, he took over. But they've since hired Luke Fickle from Cincinnati to be their new head coach. And Cincinnati made the college football playoff last year. And Luke Fickle, also famous for his stint as an interim head coach at Ohio State. So he has a pretty good understanding of the Big Ten, even if it was on the other side of that conference. But... The game between number 11 Utah and number 4 USC looked like it was going to be a great finish until about midway through the fourth quarter. But before that, Trojans jumped out to a 17-3 lead early in the second quarter. That's about the time that Utah decided enough was enough. And they're not going to let this one slip away. The Utes responded by going on two long drives, 11 plays, 63 yards, and just over six and a half minutes. 14 plays, 81 yards in just over a minute and a half to tie the game at 17 right before halftime. So it was a brand new ball game. Utah got a quick score early in the third and a field goal to open up the fourth quarter to take a 10-point lead. USC, they said, not so fast, my friend. Caleb Williams leading the Trojans on a nine-play, 75-yard drive, capped by a 12-yard touchdown pass to Mario Williams. No, not the Mario Williams out of NC State that played defensive end in the NFL. Different Mario Williams. That cut Utah's lead to three. So now it's 27-24. And this is when I'm sitting here watching this game in beautiful 4K, and it looked like we might be in for a good finish. I said, okay, strap up. Here we go. But just wasn't meant to be because Utah would blow this game wide open shortly after that. And the Utes responded with a 60-yard touchdown pass from Cam Rising to Thomas Yasmin. Ooh, it was a bruising run. Yasmin threw a USC defender off him as he trotted into the end zone. And then Jaquindon Jackson ripped off a 53-yard run for a touchdown after just the fourth interception of the season by Caleb Williams. And then Utah really drove the stake through the heart of the Trojans when the Utes picked up a USC fumble and it was Micah Bernard who ran it in from 23 yards out. So the final score, number 11, Utah, 47. Number four, USC, 24. That early touchdown in the fourth quarter, the last time that the Trojans would get on the board and it will not be a college football playoff appearance for USC this year. The Utes get the best of USC twice in 2022. Utah is your back-to-back Pac-12 champions and has punched its ticket to the Rose Bowl once again. Now, some important tidbits about this game, too. If you weren't watching it, Caleb Williams played on what he called a, quote, popped hamstring. Kind of makes you cringe just thinking about it, right? Popping any sort of ligament, certainly a major one like your hamstring, would probably be pretty uncomfortable. And you could see Caleb Williams limping visibly, badly, all throughout this game. But he stayed in, and I give him some credit. 
because I'm sure he was in a lot of pain. He even took off on a run late in the fourth quarter to pick up a first down that I believe that drive was the one that ended in the interception. But you could see how badly he was hurting all throughout the conclusion of that game. And the injury actually happened on a 59-yard run by Williams that helped set up USC's second touchdown of the game back in the first quarter. And the loss for USC... Well, that means it's an opportunity for another one of the teams that's sitting just outside of the top four for the college football playoff. In this case, Ohio State is going to be the beneficiary. They are ahead of Alabama. Buckeyes number five, Bama number six. And Ohio State only has one loss where Alabama has two. So you are more than likely going to have Ohio State getting into the college football playoff now as the Buckeyes are not in action this weekend. 11-1, that single loss, although handily, was to a top-five Michigan team. So their resume is still going to be very strong, and because you stack it up against the two-loss Alabama team and all the other two-loss teams behind them in the rankings it's going to be pretty much impossible not to take Ohio State there. So an opportunity lost for USC would have been interesting if we got a Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC college football playoff. I don't know if that would have been the most competitive college football playoff. It seems when, you know, it's not a Georgia, a Bama, a Clemson, uh, Oklahoma, even, you know, when you don't have one of those household names in the college football playoff, sometimes the games become even less competitive than they already have been. And the college football playoff has churned out some stinkers in terms of blowouts, but Now Ohio State is likely going to get in. So what does that mean for Michigan? What does it mean for Georgia? Both of those teams, one and two, and they will be in action today in their respective conference championship games. Both of them can probably lose and still get into the college football playoff because both Georgia and Michigan are undefeated. So there's a lot going on in the college football playoff right now. Only four teams will get in this year, but give it a couple of more years and the NCAA will be expanding this bad boy to 12 teams, and there will be a lot less debate on who should be getting in because there will be more teams that will have a chance to do just that. So we'll do a deep dive on the rest of Championship Saturday coming up a little bit later on in the show. But next, I didn't have the chance to give my thoughts on this earlier in the week when it was a little bit more of a fresh topic, but because I am so passionate about it, I'm going to give you my thoughts in the next segment, and that is on the Sean Taylor Memorial that was revealed last Sunday at FedEx Field. I'm not going to go scorched earth, not going to get anybody too fired up, but I do have some strong opinions on this matter that I want to get off, and that's coming up next on 106.7 The Fan. Unfortunately, it did not take long for the Dutch to get the early advantage over the United States in the 10th minute. It's the Netherlands 1, USA nothing. This game has actually advanced to the 16th minute, but the goal coming in the 10th, Memphis to pay right-footed shot from the center of the box to the bottom left corner. It's a goal. The Dutch are up 1 to nothing. And now the United States will be playing, at least for the foreseeable future, from behind. Third minute, there was an attempt saved. Christian Pulisic, left-footed shot, also from the center of the box. 
saved by the Dutch, headed for the bottom right corner. Tyler Adams with the through ball. That was the early chance for the Americans, and it came so early, third minute, but it was not meant to be, and now... The Americans trail one to nothing to the Netherlands. We will continue to update you on all the happenings there in the United States men's national team's game. Round of 16 FIFA World Cup 2022 against the Netherlands. But I said I wanted to go into a brief discussion around the Sean Taylor Memorial from last weekend that was revealed at FedEx Field. I do have some strong opinions, but I'm not going to go scorched earth. I've really come to peace with what's happened here. But obviously, the setup, the Falcons game last weekend marked the 15-year anniversary of the passing of Sean Taylor to the day, by the way. And I was actually strongly considering going to that game, despite the fact that I do live down here in Richmond from Northern Virginia. If this is the first time you've listened to me here on 106.7 The Fan from Chantilly, grew up just outside of D.C., DC all the way. My parents, my brothers still live up there. Actually, my youngest brother is still down in Virginia Tech, but he is going to be moving back to the area when he graduates in May. But in the weeks leading up to this game, the team announced that they would be unveiling a, quote, permanent installation honoring Sean Taylor and that it would be moved to a new stadium if the team does, in fact, move in a few years, which they are still expected to do, whether or not Dan Snyder is still the owner. And hopefully by then we've put all of that behind us. And if Dan Snyder does get removed as the owner, chances are there will be some more movement on the potential for a new stadium, because right now, business leaders, politicians, nobody wants to work with Dan Snyder. But That's a different story. Most of us figured that the team would be unveiling a statue because that seemed like the most appropriate thing, considering how transcendent a player Sean Taylor was in just under four years of his pro career. And after the complete debacle last year, that was his Jersey retirement ceremony, right? You thought there was no way that they could make as bad a blunder as that first whiff. Remember that they announced about a week out from the game, that they would be retiring his jersey and they didn't do anything a whole lot different with the statue by the way but with a week to decide whether or not you were going to attend the game fans that don't live around landover were scrambling trying to figure out if they could make it if they could get a ticket to watch sean's jersey be retired and then you see the photo op of the new road named after sean outside of the stadium it was being dedicated to him and the picture, the backdrop, is a row of porta potties. <laughs> yeah. And then they painted the 21 on the sideline and they let anybody and anyone walk all over it. It was really just embarrassing. It was flat out awful. And to me, it happened again. And before I get into exactly how I feel about it, I think it's important to establish some of the most important points here in that his family loves the installation. And that is what's most important i don't want that to get lost in all of this because it's true the most important thing was always going to be his family especially his daughter jackie and the reveal turned out to not be a statue at all but a wired mannequin that featured a jersey from a different era than the one that sean taylor played in and a helmet that they pulled off a shelf somewhere in the back of an equipment room that doesn't look like the one that he actually wore at all. And I'm glad that his family is happy with what was actually put out there by the commanders. But, and this is a big old but, 
I can't imagine a scenario where his family wouldn't have been happy with how the team was honoring him, right? I mean, ask yourself, was there a way that they could have done this that would have offended the Taylor family? Probably not, unless you were literally trying to upset them, unless you were literally going out of your way to diss them, right? So the notion that his family being content with the installation is important, but it's just not the end-all be-all because the reality is this looks half-assed, right? Whether his family likes it or not, because when you start to look at the details, it's pretty far off. Let's start with the helmet because at no point in his career did Sean Taylor wear a Rydell helmet, not once, not in college, not in high school, not as a member of the Redskins. Nor did he wear that cheap cloth chin strap that comes with Rydell helmets when you buy one, which is exactly what it looks like the commanders did here. They probably either bought one or, as I said, pulled one off an equipment shelf somewhere buried in the back of a closet stuffed under FedEx Field. Now, the face mask is technically correct. I'll point out that Sean wore several different variations of face masks throughout his Redskins career, sometimes with the visor, sometimes with a dark visor, if you go back to his rookie year. But okay, the face mask is, is technically correct. But you just launched this new line of Sean Taylor merch titled the Sean Taylor Legacy Project done in partnership with his daughter Jackie. And all proceeds are going to charities that fight gun violence. And that merch all features Sean Taylor's vaunted taped face mask that he wore in that night game against the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, couldn't you have at least given him the taped face mask? Because to my knowledge, he's the only person that's done that in the NFL since that time, other than Chase Young, who did it in pregame to honor Sean Taylor. And I played against kids when I was playing football in my youth that would have the taped face mask. I'm not saying that he was the first one to do it, but he's the only one in the NFL that I've seen do it recently that wasn't trying to honor Sean Taylor. So that would have at least been an extra added level of detail that every single person on the planet who ever watched him play will remember whether you were a fan or not. So that's a massive whiff to me. And then the other is, of course, the jersey. And to me, it's the most glaring because everybody that watches the NFL knows that the league didn't begin its merchandising deal with Nike until 2012. That was five years after Sean was gone. Five years. So they pulled that jersey, much like the helmet, out of the back of some closet and just said, yeah, this will do. So he's wearing a Nike jersey and Reebok pants. Is there really nobody in the commander's front office that gave that a second look? There's no one that thought that that might look funny. Sean Taylor didn't even wear a Nike jersey, so that's not even an actual jersey. That's not even, I don't think, what would be considered a replica anymore. So it's, it's just embarrassing because it's indicative of this team and their failures over the last 30 years. The most beloved player in this team's history over that time span. And you really reduced him to this hollow cutout of what he actually was. And everything about this, both physically and metaphorically, is, is the perfect encapsulation of the franchise's failures, right? Sean's family is happy, and that's great. And again, it's most important, right? But are you really going to tell me they wouldn't have been as happy, if not happier, if you hadn't put a little bit more effort into this and actually paid attention to some of the crucial details? Or, you know, here's the easiest thing you could have done. Give him an actual statue. We know that you've got the money. You've got plenty of money to make that happen. Statues pop up all over the place nowadays for all sorts of different reasons. 
And that just seems like it would have been the easiest thing to do. But they took the cheap route and they took the less detailed route. And that's kind of what you expect from this franchise going forward. So I'm glad they honored him. I'm glad the family's happy because those are one and two, not in order, but those are the two most important things that could come of this. But still, it's disappointing. I mean, you had complete layups with a chance to honor Sean Taylor, both with his jersey retirement and this permanent installation. Give him a statue. Do whatever you need to do. And they really just screwed it up. It just wasn't hard. And that's why it's so concerning about the future, right? I don't know how much Dan Snyder played into to what happened here. It sounds like this was probably a Jason Wright project. I'm not going to say that for sure because I don't know what was happening behind closed doors, but that's kind of what it seems like. And you can't ignore the fact that this is missing key details. And just with a little Google search, you could have figured out that this was not the correct way to represent him. All right. And that's the reality of the situation. So I'm done talking about it, right? It's there. Hopefully they spruce it up a little bit. Hopefully they make it a little bit more accurate to what Sean Taylor actually wore when he was playing. I understand that a lot of his game worn stuff is now probably with his former teammates and his family, but there's got to be a way to replicate it in a more accurate fashion to what he actually looked like when he was playing on the field. All right. Let's step aside. We'll take a quick break. We've got a little bit of college basketball that I want to do. Big win for the Maryland Terrapins last night. A big, big 10 win for the Terps. And some more college basketball that's interesting to look at. And that's on a weekend full of college football championship weekend. And a little Major League Baseball news coming your way towards the end of this hour as well. So stick around. You're listening to 106.7 The Fan. 22 FIFA World Cup round of 16. It's the United States men's national team going up against the Netherlands now into the 32nd minute and it is still a one nothing lead for the Netherlands over the U.S. As we mentioned in the last segment, the Netherlands goal coming in the 10th minute, Memphis Depay, right-footed shot from the center of the box to the bottom left corner, the assist by Denzel Dumfries. So that's where... We stand at the moment. It's one for the Netherlands. It's nothing for the United States coming up on halftime. 32nd minute. That game is on Fox if you want to watch it. But keep the volume up on your radio or your phone or whatever sort of streaming device you might be using to tune in to our show today. And we appreciate you being here with us. I am Danny Noakes. Caitlin is in studio producing the show. We're with you for about another 90 minutes. We're just over the halfway mark here with you until noon before we hand it off to my buddy Tim Donnelly. And we've done some college football. We've done some NFL, specifically the Commanders. I just gave you my thoughts on the Sean Taylor Memorial installation from this past weekend. You got thoughts on it? Hit us up, 800-636-1067. I didn't like it. I'm glad that his family liked it, but there sure was a lot left to be desired for the fans. I haven't really seen a lot of people say anything positive about that. When you consider how highly regarded Sean Taylor is among this fan base, and deservedly so, I mean... Who has been a more beloved player over the last 30 years than Sean Taylor? He's, he's my generation's favorite player. He, he just is. I'm going to be turning 30 next year. A lot of my friends are, are turning 30 now. But I digress because I wanted to talk a little bit of college hoops here in this segment before we finish up this 10 o'clock hour with some Major League Baseball. 
coming up around 1045. We can't start the college basketball conversation without going back and looking at the win last night for Coach Willard's squad and the number 22, the number 22 Maryland Terrapins, a 71-66 win over the Illinois Fighting Illini. Illinois ranked number 16 coming into this game, and it was the first Big Ten matchup of the season for both of these teams, a very good game. Maryland, a seven-point lead at halftime. Illinois able to trim that down a little bit, but not enough. It was, as we said, a back-and-forth affair. And I confess, too, because this time of year, it's actually very exciting for college basketball, despite it being the early part of the college basketball season. This is when you get a lot of exciting non-conference matchups because, you know, a week ago you had Thanksgiving. There are Thanksgiving tournaments. There are early tournaments in the season anyway that – you know, teams are playing over in Atlantis and the Bahamas. Uh, Virginia Tech was in one down in Charleston. So this was a great opportunity for Maryland, who just made an appearance in the top 25 this year to not only get a conference win, but get a win over a ranked team. Right. And we all know how far that can go when Selection Sunday comes around in March. And for the Terps last night, they were led by uh, Jameer Young, who scored 24 points, added four rebounds, two assists, also a steal on nine of 20 shooting. He was four of nine from downtown. But how about the game from Akeem Hart? 17 points, six of nine shooting, five of six from downtown. Yeah, that's pretty efficient right there. And as we said, for Coach Kevin Willard and his Maryland Terrapins, a big win over a tough Illinois team. The Big Ten, I think, is definitely going to give some teams some trouble as we move throughout the rest of the college basketball season. So congratulations to them. I saw Scott Van Pelt was in in attendance for that game last night. I saw Maryland football head coach Mike Loxley was also in attendance. A pretty good season for the Maryland football team as well. I they had some tough losses, you know, got shut out against Penn State, didn't have a great showing on the road against Wisconsin. But I think for the most part, you look at some of the games they played like against Michigan, right? They played Michigan tight. They beat Michigan State. They had some they had some other very encouraging games and wins this season. Uh, did the Maryland football team. So their basketball team, big win over number 16, Illinois, last night. We'll look at some games coming up here. Virginia Tech has a big game on Sunday. It would have been against the number one team in the country, but a couple of losses for the Tar Heels uh, definitely have made them slide down the top 25 of the AP poll. But 800-636-1067 is the MGM National Harbor listener lines. Those lines are open for you to call, and I want to go to them now where we welcome in Reggie and Reston. Reggie, thanks so much for calling in this morning. What's going on? First of all, good day, my man. Danny, this is Reggie Copeland, man. So great oh, to you. Reg, <laughs> what's going on, man? It's great to hear from you. Yeah, man, I'm proud of you. You are the man. Oh, <laughs> I really appreciate that, partner. It's been too long. I, I miss you guys. I miss the family. I, I hope you're all doing well. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll see you in the holidays, man. But listen, I'm calling in regards to the Sean Taylor conversation. Yep. And I think the word that comes to mind for me is backpedaling. Mm -hmm. There's so much stuff going on in that organization. Instead of them creating this wonderful experience, this this great occasion for Sean Taylor, they're so busy backpedaling because there's so much garbage going on within the organization they don't have time 
to put out a great uh, experience for the Sean Taylor family for this memorial. Everything they're doing, it, it's like they're throwing it all together because there's so much unnecessary stuff that's going on. And obviously it all starts from the top. It's unfortunate. I'm glad Sean's family was happy, but it should have been better. They have to do better as an organization. I'm with you, man. Hey, Reggie, thanks so much for calling in, buddy. I really appreciate it. I will see you again very soon. I promise you. And spot on. What else needs to be said about that? I mean, I haven't really heard anybody have anything positive to say about this. And and specifically to, to speak to what Reg was saying is they do feel like they're throwing it together at the last minute. And I just don't know how that's possible because Again, this guy has been so beloved, so important to this franchise over the last 30 years when you've had so little success to cling to after your three Super Bowls that stopped coming in the early 90s. You would think that they would just they would use every ounce of their power to just make this as detailed and accurate a representation of Sean Taylor's career as possible and it just hasn't been the case. And another thing that Reg said starts at the top, right? And that's definitely true. Every negative thing that this franchise has been through over, you know, now almost 30 years that Dan Snyder has owned the team, but most of that time span he's got covered at this point. It always starts at the top, right? There's a pattern of bad decision-making, knee-jerk reactions to certain things, erratic spending when it comes to free agents and whatnot. We could point to a million different things. And and then you have the -the off-the-field issues, and specifically some of the legal issues. And this is an off-the-field issue that, again, is is really just a, a lack of attention to detail and just a way that is mind-boggling to me where you have a chance to endear yourselves to the fans even more by honoring one of the franchise's most beloved players and you just don't put in the effort that everybody expected you to put into it so it's it's incredibly incredibly disappointing but uh reggie thank you so much for calling in man what a great family the copelands uh man they they i went to chantilly played football with uh matt matt copeland who's now out in california one of my one of my best buds there in high school miss those people and uh it's 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 really cool to to see what uh, what everyone has has grown up to be there uh, in Chantilly. Now they they live in Reston, obviously. So um, very cool. I love it when when folks call in. We've had a lot of great callers, by the way, throughout the show today. Eight hundred six three six one zero six seven is the MGM National Harbor listener lines. You can hit us up there. We spent a little bit of time recapping the Maryland Illinois game from last night. I also wanted to call into not call into question, but make note of a couple of important games coming up for some Commonwealth teams as well. Today, you've got UVA going up against Florida State. University of Virginia now up to number three in the AP poll. And the Seminoles not off to the start that they would like. One and eight on the season. And this is their first ACC game of the year. That's a two o'clock tip off on ESPN two, but just want to give head coach Tony Bennett some credit here. And you know, I'm a Virginia tech Hokie, right? So when it comes to UVA, they're our biggest rivals. We want to beat them in absolutely everything. But with what happened on that campus, just a couple of, a few weeks ago at this point, the shooting, the lost lives, the, the other folks that were injured too, just an unspeakable tragedy. And for, 
us Virginia Tech folks and alumni fans alike, I'm, I'm an alumnus myself, but you know, it obviously brings back a lot of really vivid and painful memories. And so uh, it was really cool to see Hokies rally around UVA and offer their support in the wake of the shooting that happened in Charlottesville. But what also happened in that time was the men's basketball team had a pretty tough stretch playing against number five Baylor and number 19 Illinois. And UVA won both of those games pretty convincingly, by the way. They beat number five Baylor 86-79, and they beat number 19 Illinois 70-61. to So speaking of which, Illinois has a couple of early season tests that they have failed, but at least if you're going to have some losses on your March Madness resume, they would beat the good teams. And, and for Illinois, UVA, and Maryland, most recently, they lost to the Terps last night. Not a bad couple of losses, but credit to Tony Bennett. And Tony Bennett, I've said this too about the head coach at UVA for the men's basketball team. As much as Virginia Tech loves to beat them and whatnot, Tony Bennett is maybe the most likable coach in college in college basketball. He is just an awesome dude. I've had the chance to talk to him in press conferences before. He could not be a nicer person. And when they won the national championship, as, as much as I can say that I wasn't rooting for them, I was happy to see him get his redemption story. And, and that team was a good story as well. So before we wrap things up, just real quick, Sunday, you've got a matchup between Virginia Tech and number 18, North Carolina from Castle Coliseum down in Blacksburg, Virginia. The Hokies are off to a pretty good start. The reigning ACC champion, Virginia Tech Hokies, mind you. They're 7-1. and one. They're only lost a two-point loss to the College of Charleston. It was a home game for Charleston, and that was in the College of Charleston's November tournament that got wrapped up during Thanksgiving week. And then the Hokies responded with a win over Charleston Southern before beating Minnesota in the ACC Big Ten Challenge earlier in the week. But Hokies get number 18, North Carolina. The Tar Heels were number one in the country before a couple of losses. Really slowed them down over the last couple of days. But it's a 3 p.m. kick, uh, 3 p.m. tip-off, rather, on the ACC Network tomorrow afternoon. It's kind of tough. They're going to get the iPad treatment from me because... That's just what happens in football season, man. We've got NFL games. That's going to be right in the middle of the Commanders matchup with the New York Giants, but more than likely going to have four screens going for that time period tomorrow as we get a little college basketball and a little NFL as well. All right, let's get out of here. Step aside, take a quick break. I want to do some Major League Baseball to wrap up the 10 o'clock hour when we return. Stick around. You're listening to 106.7 The Fan. It's getting late early for the United States men's national team. Halftime of their matchup with the Netherlands 2022 FIFA World Cup round of 16. It is now the Netherlands 2, United States nothing. And again, this game is at the half. We mentioned a couple of segments ago, 10th minute was when the Netherlands notched their first goal Made it one to nothing. Memphis to pay. Right-footed shot from the center of the box. Bottom left corner. The assist went to Denzel Dumfries. Well, it was the 46th minute. Yeah, stoppage time goal this time for the Netherlands. Their second of the game this time. Daily blind right-footed shot from the center of the box to the bottom left corner. Another assist by Denzel Dumfries. It's a tough spot for the United States to be in, and... 
I didn't necessarily want to frame it this way when we were setting the game up, you know, leading into the 10 o'clock kickoff for this one. But the Netherlands was going to be heavy favorites in this game, and they were expected to win. I mentioned how Taylor Twelman, ESPN analyst of this United States men's team, talked often about how they were already playing with house money. I think you're probably seeing that, not to mention... This United States team is a little bit banged up right now. I mean, Christian Pulisic, as good as he is, and he had a chance in just the third minute of the game. Left-footed shot from the center of the box. It was saved, headed towards the bottom right corner. Tyler Adams got him, got him that with a through ball. But United States has not been able to break through, and I think to win this one, they were going to have to get a goal early and maybe take some of the confidence away from the Netherlands, but that has just not been the case. And a team like the Netherlands, who in 2010 was the runner-up, the FIFA World Cup runner-up. So they're an experienced unit. Guys like Frankie de Jong are not so easy to cover. And we mentioned the injury to Pulisic that he suffered on the goal that he scored in the United States win over Iran, well, you're missing Josh Sargent in this game, and he exited the Iran match very late, and ultimately, I think they miss him a lot. There's been a lot of people wondering why the United States has opted not to play Gio Reyna just yet, or or, or very often, at least, are, have they not played Gio Reyna. I think he's only before this game played maybe seven or eight minutes of action. So uh, it's it's a tough spot for, for the U.S. And down 2-0 now as we hit halftime, it's going to be quite an uphill battle for them to get back to the top. But if if you're just trying to get into soccer now, and, and that's what I'm, I'm at, right? I, I'm not an expert on everything, but when it comes to soccer, I think with this U.S. team, they're very young, right? And they've sort of overachieved early in their careers you know we we had a caller hit us up earlier in the show talk about how this is a team full of er the kids in their early 20s and they're they're really just scratching the surface of of what they can do you know Dest is is a stud Weston McKinney Christian Pulisic Sargent who they're missing today also very good not to mention some other guys that I didn't mention so you know despite the fact that this game, this match against the Netherlands is not headed in the right direction, I do believe there's still hope on the horizon for this U.S. men's national team. And now I'm sure a lot of you are thrilled that because they're down to nothing, there's a very little chance that the United States comes back to win this. And most of the United States sports radio and sports media will stop talking about the World Cup. Not entirely, because there is still plenty of action left to be called. And, and for the, the pure soccer fans, no doubt, there's going to be a lot of great action on the pitch here over the next several weeks. But for the United States, their time is running out. Now, real quick, before we get to a break, I did say I wanted to get in some Major League Baseball. Despite the fact the season is very much in the rearview mirror, Dusty Baker, the Houston Astros, are your World Series champions, and we're still a few months away from spring training. But some big news and potentially more on the way happening in baseball right now. I'll start outside of Washington, D.C., because Jacob deGrom 
thankfully, mercifully, is no longer a member of the New York Mets, and he will no longer be terrorizing the Washington Nationals in the National League East because Jacob deGrom just signed a five-year, $185 million deal with the Texas Rangers. So he's not even in the National League anymore. He's headed over to the American League. And sources are saying that this includes this contract for Jacob deGrom, a six year option to bring the contract's total value to about 222 million and when you look at jacob Degrom and what he's done over the last several years you can understand exactly why he commands the volume of money that he will be getting and it's a it's a smaller deal in terms of years right five as opposed to you know the giant contracts that we've seen bryce harper get uh and some other players that both have already signed deals and will be signing deals in the near future looking at guys like aaron judge and juan soto but He threw just 64 and a third innings in 2022, missed the first four months of the season with a stress reaction in his shoulder. Now, when he pitched this year, he was darn near unhittable. I mean, he was just fantastic yet again. He has had some injury issues, though. He's pitched 224 and a third innings over the past three seasons, which is not in line with his average for his career, but two-time Cy Young Award winner. And again, when he's been on the mound, he's been just about unhittable for several years now so Jacob deGrom he is headed to the Texas Rangers no longer will be in the NL East with the New York Mets and then Trey Turner no deal yet for Trey don't want to alarm anybody Trey is not going anywhere new just yet but as we know he is a free agent this offseason and he is said to be considering both the San Diego Padres and gulp the Philadelphia Phillies now the reports here are that Trey had actually already met in person with the San Diego Padres a couple of times, as a matter of fact. And if you'll remember, the Padres were the team that drafted Trey Turner several years ago out of NC State, then later ultimately got traded to the Nationals. He won a World Series here in D.C. And, you know, he's the one guy outside of Juan Soto that really feels like we let slip away here in in Washington, D.C. When you listen to some of the comments that Trey has made since being traded out of out of D.C., that he was kind of surprised by that. He didn't expect to be dealt by the Nationals, and, you know, he probably could have seen himself playing here for a very long time. Those are all sentiments that he has shared with the media since leaving the Washington Nationals, and that was not his decision. So it's pretty frustrating to to watch this play out as the Padres could end up with Josh Bell, Juan Soto, and Trey Turner. That's kind of reminiscent to what the Dodgers were able to inherit when the Nationals began selling players off towards the middle to end of last season. So it's, it's a tough spot, but Trey Turner could be on the move here pretty soon. And then the last things I'll say, because the Nationals did actually have a couple of signings today. They made their first major league acquisitions of the offseason. First, they signed free agent Jamir Candelario to a one-year deal to add an experienced third baseman coming off somewhat of a rough season to a lineup that does need some production, right? I mean, outside of Joey Manassas, there was not a whole lot of offensive production from this team last year at all, and, and certainly after they sold off 
the remaining assets that they had in Soto and Bell. Although I, I really am a big fan of C.J. Abrams. I am probably higher on him than a lot of people were, especially when they watched him make some early errors after they traded Soto and, and you know, started to move some guys around. But I... What, what can I say? I think that he had a good close to the season. Now, Candelario, this this guy that's coming in that the Nationals just signed, he's 29 years old, one year, $5 million is what he'll make this year. Another $1 million available in incentives, according to John Heyman of the New York Post. But uh, he's, he's a guy that's going to come in and, and probably start at third base. And I saw someone point out earlier this week that Mike Rizzo is not likely signing him so that he can compete with Carter Keboom at third base for the starting spot. No, Candelario is is likely going to start for for a one year five million dollars. He's going to be the the plug there that Rizzo and and Davey Martinez and the Washington Nationals are going to go with with Abrams at short to, to start Luis Garcia there at second base as well. Now, there was another player that the Nationals added, and we're about to get to a break here in just a second, but power-hitting outfielder Stone Garrett is also a guy that was signed to the Nationals this year, appeared in 27 games for the Diamondbacks after making his Major League debut this summer. He gets a league minimum deal, but he's under the club's control for the next six years. So Garrett, some power. We go back to the offensive production that the Nationals' offense has been missing and needs to take another step forward if they're, you know, going to get out of the basement of both the National League and the National League East. Maybe over the next six years, Garrett is another one of these guys that you can consider a prospect. And although he has already appeared in the majors as recent as last year or this earlier this year, rather, he could be a guy that that turns into a contributor. We'll just have to see. And we will also see what other free agent signings that Mike Rizzo and the Washington Nationals are able to make this offseason. All right, I'm over a break. Let's step aside. Let's take another one. Coming up is the 11 o'clock hour. We've got more football to talk, so stick around. You're listening to 106.7 The Fan. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 